Hey, and welcome to, I was about to say the Patrama party. Wrong podcast. Girl, get it together. <laughs> and welcome to- I mean, this is going to be traumatic. Yeah, so Speak. we're doing Dahmer, so this is definitely a kind of Patrama party. Don't eat, okay? If you have a snack, put it away. That's all I have to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> and and this podcast is called Sign of the Crime. <laughs> oh yeah, that. Also. Also that. Also that. Uh, I'm Remy. That's Quintana. You can Hi. call her Q. Please do. Don't call me Quintana. It's annoying. Do you really not that. like that? No one pronounces it correctly. And n- I, nine times out of 10, they'll be like, what an interesting, unusual, rare name. Where did it come from? And I don't right. want to, I'm like, I don't yeah. know you. I don't have, yeah. I don't want. Also, they're going to be like Quintana. Cool. Mm-hmm. Quintana. Quintana. <laughs> no. Quint- I mean, just like all kinds of, have you ever thought about going by Quinn? My- Never. My favorite is when someone, uh, oh, it was when I, it was, it was a mixed bag because it was in the sixth grade, sixth, seventh, I can't remember, seventh grade. I made the pom-pom squad and to call me, to call me up, they were calling the names of the people who made it. And they were like, Remy Ramirez, Remy, Remy Ramirez. I was like, what? Is I'm happening? sorry. That was California. There's no way they didn't know the fucking name Ramirez. I know. I was like, I was like, yay, boo. Mm, no, <laughs> unacceptable. Like um, in Maine, I got all the time when I was in college in Maine, they were like, Ramirez, what kind of name is that? And I'm like, like all right. They're like, that's fine. Exotic. Yeah, exotic ex- I got that a lot. And I'm like, you're from Maine and that's OK. Like, I don't see a lot of Mexicans up here. There aren't a lot of Mexicans up here being like cold weather, snow. Excellent. Nine months out of the year. Let's do this. Absolutely not a lot of Mexicans. Not. <laughs> the, the Mexican food here is the absolute worst. Yes. Sign me up. No, not a lot of that. As so a- I, I would take that from Maine, but not California. No. Yeah. Y'all it was- know. It was, I was, uh, I couldn't quite believe it. The other bad one is, is they, someone once called me Penny. I was like, hi, I'm Remy. They were like, Penny. And I was like, Remy. And they were like, Penny. I was like, Remy. Again, still no. (laughs) It's like, Jesus Christ. Who the fuck is, okay. No offense to anyone named Penny, but like, that is not a very, like, why, how could you hear Remy and go to Penny? Yeah, I, it's not that I mind the name Penny. I think it's cute. It's just that's not your name. No, it's not my name. That's not my yeah. name. That's not my name. Mm-hmm. Or however that song goes. Yeah, but that song is basically the story of our adolescence because the number of times people mispronounce my name. Yours is tell you. Well, I mean, I, I walked into Miss Renetti's room in debate in 10th grade and I was younger than everybody. And she took one look at my name and she was like, can I just call you Q? And I was like, you sure can. And they called me little Q because I was, again, younger than everybody. So I got called little Q through high school. And then I was like, we can drop the little now. It's we're done you, with that. You've graduated. So then I just went by Q. Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm an adult, technically. Not did I call you Q growing up? I don't think I did. No, no. Everyone called me my full name. Growing yeah, Quintana. Up. Yeah, everyone called me that until high school, 10th grade, Miss Renetti. Shout out to Miss Renetti. Thank you. That Aww. was actually pretty helpful. Can we talk about how great Miss Renetti was just in she general? Was, she was pretty great. Yeah. She was also like uh, brutally honest and she'd be like, that was bad. <laughs> well, she was the one who put together the lip sync competition that we had every she year. did. And yeah. it was massive. I mean, it was like, you know, people could give a fuck about any of the other performances that 
we had. <laughs> but lip sync was hilarious. But the lip sync went off. Oh. Do you remember the big football player guy who did Sinead O'Connor's Nothing oh, Compares to You? My God, I forgot that one. I, that was one of my, I was like, this is okay. I mean, it was hilarious. Oh and then God. yours, that almost got you kicked out of school. Uh, <laughs> Kiss? Is that the I don't, one? Which it one? It was the one where you had Joel <laughs> strapped to a oh, chair and blindfolded no, while no, you booty danced around him. That was a uh, criminal Fiona Apple. Yes. My friend and I dressed very skimply. This was the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. You know, they're scared of women's bodies. So yeah. When <laughs> I was 16, I was like, I am sexual, sex, so sexual. <laughs> I, was like, oh. I was like, I couldn't get this on any tighter if I tried. And, <laughs> and you uh, did try. <laughs> and I did. And I was like, but I'm gonna try anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I tied my boyfriend up at the time. Yeah, she did. And I think I also put like, like a muzzle, like not a muzzle, but I put like a thing in his mouth. So he yeah, like, you had like a ball gag type situation happening in his mouth and you had his eyes covered. And I was watching, like I was watching in the wings backstage and I was like, this is going to be hilarious. It was great. <laughs> like, they're going to hate this. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that actually wasn't the one, the most controversial one. The one that was controversial was when we did kiss by Prince because Why? there was one dance i mean we were like dance humping all 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 over town <laughs> so i didn't mind when you did it at basketball games why the fuck did they care if you do it at lip sync i didn't do anything at basketball games i was not i'm just saying though. i remember i remember cheerleaders out there doing dances and i was like all right well you could just dry hump the but, stage that's but fine this was literally like yeah everyone did sexy move but we got on the floor and grinded with our hips and then we did i mean it was the floor no one's right. getting pregnant. Right. Mm -hmm. they, thank you. And we did a move where we just like fully, we were like on our butts and then we just like opened our legs all the way up. Excellent. <laughs> and Good stuff. Uh, I remember telling Mr. Thompson who everyone loved Mr. Thompson. He was the history teacher, but he was, he was like also Chris openly Christian and he Very much so. was yeah. a, like a judge. And I remember walking up to him and saying you're going to want to kick our our number off but but don't do that don't kick us out of the show please what did you say he you know the thing about mr everyone loved mr thompson and so did i but i don't think he loved me <laughs> i think yeah. he was he was like not into how uh vocal i was about feminist shit and how openly like I just had like a sort of a sexual nature. And I think he just was not into that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't think he was super into me either. He was just like, you oh, could show for class more. He loved you. He loved you. I don't remember that. Also, one time I got the worst period cramps of all time and I couldn't stop crying in class. And then someone gave me a bunch of something. I don't know, some pill. And I just took Vital. it all. And I fell, asleep, I, I fell asleep and woke up in my drool. And he just like, he was like, you, you're crying, you're sleeping, you're drooling. Like, who the fuck? Get out of this He's class. just like, okay. Um, yeah. yeah. He was like, yeah, this is AP history and, and you're fucking, what the, get it together. And I was like, yeah, you don't have a fucking uterus. So you don't know. Speaking of uteruses, uh, I had a terrible week. Yeah. Uh, well, I think anyone with a uterus did. Well, there are some people out there with uteruses who are like, yeah, but they don't know they're having a terrible week. 
uh, you know, like the, the women who are, I, 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 I'm not looking to alienate people. I'm just <laughs> saying that if you are celebrating the fact that, you know, Judge Alito's out there being like, listen, forced birthing is not that big a deal, then, you know, like you might have your priorities kind of fucked up. Yeah, maybe you could find a different fucking podcast. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, but like you got to yeah. you got to get this on board. This is not with the one, one for you. I you don't got, I don't yeah. know what to say. Yeah. Actually, true crime might not be for you because in my experience true crime is filled with women who are feminists. I don't know a lot of like <laughs> I think it's not I think it's just not proper enough for the for yeah. the, like the super right-wingy, you know, they're just yeah. not this isn't their vibe. Look, I, you know, I try to like welcome all kinds of views and et cetera, blah, but like, Oh, I don't, I'm very openly I, opposed to many, many views this, <laughs> on this one. I have no wiggle room. Absolutely none. No, 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 no. I, I yeah, I, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a long week and we're all signed up for the May 15th. Everyone's going out to protest, you know, even in my tiny town, we're doing it. Like it's, it, it, I've had enough, <laughs> like I've had enough. And I, I got an argument with someone cause they're like, you're not having any abortions. You're like, you're old. I'm like, okay, well, thank you for that. A, but B that's not really what it's about. No, you know, I'm like, it's, no. it's not about that at all. It's about living in a culture that hates women, that hates when women have power, that hates when women have agency and that does everything that it can to disempower women or, and not just women, anyone who births people with uteruses. And I don't know if people have heard about this fucked up femme. law. They're against femme energy is what yes, it comes the, down they're to. They're anti the divine feminine mm -hmm. and case in point, Louisiana is working on this law. And like I don't know the exact specifics of like, if it has gone into effect, if it's about to go into effect, but essentially I think it has not yet gone into effect but it passed in the state legislature seven to two. And it states that um, people who have miscarriages are can be convicted of a felony. And the reason why they can be convicted of a felony is because when you're convicted of a felony, you can't, can't vote. vote. You can't vote. So you basically, you get to be in the oppression without having any say in the oppression, which is really all they wanted out of us to sit down and be quiet. Right. Yeah. To shut yeah. the fuck up and shut the fuck up, make me some babies and a sandwich. That's, That's right. all I really want. Yeah. Guess what? I'm not fucking doing it. I'm not fucking yeah. feeling it. Going to be a no from me. <laughs> uh, Thanks and, for playing. As feisty as I sound right now, I have spent the whole week crying into my pillow. I broke a lot of shit. We had this conversation. You cry and I start screaming. Yeah, I called I called Q yesterday and it was just like, I'm spiraling. I'm fucking spiraling. And she was like, have you tried getting mad? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, it's not that I don't feel sad upon occasion, but I very much try to limit. I have my Remy knows I have my scheduled cry time uh, yes. so I can get Tuesdays. it all out. Tuesdays, Tuesdays, generally somewhere between like 12 and one when I'm driving. Um, you know, it, you got to have it. Like, I understand there's a need for sadness, but I, I prefer mine on a schedule, uh, yeah. but angry, angry comes to me quickly and at any time. And I find it useful, yeah. uh, particularly in this context, because I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck fuck, you. I just like, fuck you all the way. And then some, and then some more, are you kidding me? Yeah. Especially you remember that, that thing I sent you where, 
all of the Supreme Court justices were like, this is codified law. You know, it's a precedent. This is this is yeah. it's up for debate. Right. And so, they were so, like, wait, Syed? right. So basically, <laughs> so to explain, it was a it was a TikTok with like all of these videos of all of these f- fuck face judges on the Supreme Court who are, you know, green lighting this bullshit. Each one of them being during their confirmation hearings being like wrote or not the conf- whatever leads up to the confirmation hearing, whatever. What's that? Whatever. What, that basically, when they do the interviews with with Congress. yeah, where basically they get yeah. grilled by Congress and every single one of them was like Roe versus Wade is is precedent. It is codified law. It's codified know, law, it, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And like, no, I will not try to overturn Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you- turns out they were crossing their fingers. They're like, it doesn't count if I say it on a Tuesday. They were like, opposite day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's not cute. It's not cute. Yeah. So I I reached out to every single one of anyone who has anything to do with anything in my government. (laughs) Yeah, there's been a lot of that. Although I don't hold out hope for that. Did you see the thing with Susan Collins where like protesters were outside of her house and they wrote in chalk on a sidewalk, by the way, which is, I know is it's part of an easement. It's public property. They were like, Susie, please, we want, and they're trying to pass this legislation that will protect women. And she fucking called the cops. Yeah. Well, for defacement of public property, it's chalk. It's chalk, honey. So it rain will wash it away. Are you kidding me? You called the police. You know what else? Chalk on your sidewalk. Wash it away is my tears. Mm. So let me come over there and you know, it'll wash it away. Your blood. (laughs) <laughs> when I cut you because I'm mad. Like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, it's one thing to be a piece of shit, which she is. It's another thing to be the kind of like white woman, Karen piece of shit who calls the cops because she doesn't like something that was written in chalk by her yeah. constituents on public property near her house. I, I mean, it, it's just the situation where I'm like, this is this is the hell we're in. <laughs> this is why all of this is happening is because you guys are like, I don't like that. You respectfully asked me to do something. Right. It's my job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't like listening to your opinion, which is what my entire job is based on. Actually, yeah. what I get paid to do, but I don't like it. Yeah. So I'm calling the cops. Okay. Okay, honey. Okay. Um, anyway, speaking so- of femme, oh, I did right. want to make one note. So, so a listener reached out and was like, I don't think it was the, maybe it was the last episode. I can't remember. But anyway, in one of the episodes, we're talking about why does it feel weird to say the word homosexual? Why does that feel like, I think I was saying it feels like a Yeah, because it doesn't to me. I don't, it doesn't feel weird to me at all. Yeah. And Quintana was saying, I feel like it's weird to say gay because in high school people would say that's gay because it was used as a, as a derogatory term in high school. Totally. Yeah. And so this person wrote in and was like, actually, that's interesting because homosexual at one point it, it has an, it carries a negative connotation because it was used as to well, the person what, didn't say that I looked that up. I looked it up. I was like, why does homosexual? No, 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 no. I, wait, I hadn't finished. Oh, okay. Because at one point it was used as like a term for what was considered to be a mental health disorder. Oh, right, right. You were homosexual. You were a sick person. You know, you were mentally ill. And then Q looked it up and tell tell him tell him babe it's my favorite thing i was like well the, the republicans ruin everything um so it turns out that when republicans were really lobbying to uh, you know, like i say that like it's stopped but it, it hasn't when they are 
when they are trying, as they continue to do, to limit the rights of gay people, they use the term homosexual in the language um, that they adopt for all of their bills, you know, and I think when they're just talking about it. And I I would bet like that if you go back and look at video, it's because the, when they say the word homosexual, I bet they say it in a way that makes it sound bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are ways you can say, say words that make them like just sound like they have a bad taste in your mouth. But anyway, because of that, because if they use that kind of language, um, people started to that's how they believe that it. I don't know who the collective they is, but it was after that time that the word homosexual became at least for some homosexuals, it started to feel like it was a derogatory term. Some, some gay folks, some some gay folks. Yeah. Uh, again, I grew up in the 90s when gay meant right. bad, you know, right. and like, uh, it, yeah. you know, I'm open to learning new. Yeah, new things we're, to we're learn here to day. learn. Yeah, we're here but, to learn. But, you know, leave it to a fucking Republican to just take a word that's perfectly fine and fuck it all the way up. Although yeah. knowing the history, too, and knowing that it was used as like a label for a as a to describe a type of illness is also pretty revolting so it's helpful to know hey right. do you want to talk about cannibalism i was gonna say <laughs> oh we want to talk about some really disturbing upsetting God. shit and then okay. talk about jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny but it's not oh okay. it's so sad okay let's do it all right so jeffrey Dahmer, born on may 21st 1960 so that makes him a gemini is that right yeah, he's yes, he's like at zero degrees. Yeah, I was like, are you a Taurus baby or are you a Gemini? Uh, but yeah, okay, so he's born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the first, the first child of Joyce and Lionel Dahmer. Lionel is a Marquette University chemistry school student and later a research chemist, and that will that'll come up again. Um, some sources suggest that Dahmer did not get enough attention as an infant, which we know is devastating to a Gemini. Uh, but other sources say that Dahmer was really loved as an infant and a toddler by both his parents. So that was you know. pointed at, sorry, not to make this about me, but that was pointed at me. You're a Sagittarius. So. You know, I have a Gemini. Rising. I don't know what you're talking about. You have. Uh, <laughs> okay. Keep going. Keep going. Anyway, I'm going to keep talking about the serial killer and not you Patrama party. We'll talk about you later. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, Dahmer was, uh, they, there are sources, it, there are sources that go both way that talk about how he was treated as a child, but, and here it comes, his mother was known to be tense, greedy for both attention and pity and argumentative. Yeah. Uh, tell me your parents are boomers without telling me your parents are boomers um, and do not come for me. Okay. Check y'all's astrology boomers. It's in the stars. Okay. It's not me. <laughs> Remy, Remy, you're going to back me up on this because we I know it's I, true. I got you girl. All right. So as Dahmer began elementary school, Lionel was working a lot. And when he was home, um, Joyce, a depressed hypochondriac, demanded constant attention. And she spent an increasing amount of time in bed. Good mm. for you, Joyce. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> uh, Way to go, Joyce. Kids, but I get it. <laughs> so on one occasion, she is known to have attempted suicide with Equinil, which is an anti-anxiety medication. And following that episode, neither parents spent a lot of time with their son, who later recollected that from an early age, he felt, quote, the, uh, the unsure of the solidity of the family. Tell me about it. Um, recalling tension and numerous Hashtag arguments. relatable. <laughs> Hashtag Gen X. Um, uh, recalling tension and numerous arguments between his parents, 
which I mean, you know, that checks out. Like that makes sense. Uh, Dahmer had a double hernia surgery shortly before his fourth birthday. And following that, he changed from what people described as a happy and energetic child to more subdued mm. in elementary school. I, yeah. And actually, I've seen that before. Something about sometimes um, the chemicals that they use for anesthetic uh, that those can be problematic for some people, sometimes just the trauma of surgery, uh, who knows? Wow. Uh, so in elementary school, he was regarded as quiet and timid. One teacher later said that she noticed early symptoms of abandonment in Dahmer due to his mother's issues, which increased when she became pregnant with her second child. But, you know, besides, other than that, like besides that, he did have a lot of friends in grade school and he was actually considered, you know, popular, uh, that would not last. (laughs) So in October of 1966, the family moved to Doylston, Ohio, and Joyce gave birth to a bouncing baby boy in December of 66. That same year, Lionel earned his degree and started work as an analytical chemist in nearby Akron, Ohio. And this is around the time that Dahmer begins to develop an interest in dead animals. No. Yeah. This fascination may have begun at the age of four when he saw his father removing animal bones from beneath the family home. According to Lionel, Dahmer was, quote, oddly thrilled by the sound the bones made and subsequently became preoccupied with animal bones, which he initially called his fiddlesticks. He would occasionally, I I know, uh, he would occasionally search underneath and around the family home for additional bones. And occasionally he would explore the bodies of lion animals to discover where their bones were located. Could be a burgeoning surgeon, could be a future serial killer. Um, So in 1968, the family moves to Bath Township in Summit County, Ohio, which is their third address in two years and the sixth in the Dahmer's marriage. Not great for kids. Mm. The new home was on an acre and a half of woodland with a small hut near the house where Dahmer began collecting large insects such as dragonflies and moths, as well as the skeletons of small animals like chipmunks and squirrels. Mm. Some of these remains were preserved in jars of formaldehyde Dahmer kept inside the hut like tiny, off-putting little science experiments. Two years later, while eating a chicken dinner, no. Dahmer asked his dad, <laughs> it's no. not good, what would happen if the chicken bones were placed in bleach? Now, red flag. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember Kristen Wiig? Red flag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, SNL skin about a perfume called Red Flag. Red, red flag. flag. Yeah. yeah, this counts. If, you're, if your fucking boyfriend is just like, what happens if you put bones of bleach? Run. Run. Yeah. So dear old dad, bless his sweet, innocent heart, thought that this was just scientific curiosity and was actually pretty pleased by the question. So he demonstrated to Dahmer how to safely bleach and preserve animal bones. Cool. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that, begins. you could like maybe be an anthrop- sure. a burgeoning anthropologist, something like Ab- you sure can. A paleontologist, you, sure you know. But OK, OK, because shit's about to get creepier. So okay. hold on. Oh, just hold that thought. Okay, yeah. so um, he demonstrated how to safely bleach and preserve animal bones. And Dahmer begins incorporating these preserving techniques into his bone collecting. And it's around this time that he also begins collecting dead animals, including roadkill, that he would dissect and bury beside his weird little skeleton hut with the skulls occasionally placed atop makeshift crosses. No, don't. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Dahmer explained that he was curious as to how. Wait, wait. What's going on? My cat fucked up my shit. So damn it. Clover. Clover. Okay. Yeah. So Dahmer explained that he's curious as to how animals quote fitted together. I already said that though, right? No, you didn't. 
Okay. I can't tell because you ripped a giant chunk out of my shit. Clover, God damn it. Stop. God damn it. Uh, So in 1975, Dahmer decapitated the carcass of a dog before nailing the body to a tree and impaling the skull upon a stick in the woodland behind his house. Okay. (laughs) We've reached, we've reached a fever pitch here. Well, yeah, it's, it's not, oh, it's going to get worse, but it's, you know, it's not giving scientists. Let me me push you that way. This is not serving fucking Harvard. (laughs) Wait, um, question. Was this, this was a dead dog or was this a live dog? We no, don't this know. is a dead dog. Okay. okay yeah. I okay. mean, we were hoping the dog was dead when he got to it. That's what I'm asking. I don't have that information. Okay. We don't so. know. Okay. So as a super funny prank, he invited a friend to take a peek at this display, claiming he had discovered these remains by chance. Yeah. Like, hey, I found this creepy decapitated dog oh, body next to my murder hut. So bro, weird. bro dude, <laughs> get, look what I found by my fucking creepy ass murder, by hut. My murder hut. Yeah. So this is also the year that Joyce began increasing her daily consumption of Equinil laxatives and sleeping pills, which further minimized her contact with her husband and children. She's by like, his... let, let me just drug my way <laughs> she's, she's all like, the fuck the way out of here. I'm not into this situation. Uh, so by his freshman year at Revere high school, Dahmer's pretty much an outcast. Yeah. And yeah. um, by the age of 14, he's had nothing beer. to do with the, the fucking dog head. I'm absolutely sure. not. That is incidental. <laughs> so he's drinking beer and hard liquor during the day, including at school. And he once told a classmate who asked why he was drinking scotch in history class that the alcohol was, quote unquote, my medicine. Although not much of a talker, Dama was regarded by school staff as polite and highly intelligent, but he earned average grades. He's a good tennis player, even played briefly on the high in the high school band. Puberty rolls around. Dahmer realizes that he's gay. He does not tell his parents, which, uh, you know, considering the circumstances, the time and place, I get. Um, I don't think that like Ohio in the 60s was a great time to be out as a gay man. So in his early teens, he had a brief relationship with another teenage boy, although according to Dahmer, they never had sex. It's at this time that he begins fantasizing about dominating and controlling a completely submissive male partner and his masturbatory fantasies gradually evolved to focus on the chests and torsos of his fantasy subjects. Gradually, these fantasies become intertwined with his dissection. When he's about 16, Dahmer begins fantasizing about a male jogger that he found attractive. And on one occasion, he actually concealed himself in the bushes with a baseball bat to lie no. and wait for this guy. No. Mm-hmm. But the dude did not pass by on that particular day. Dahmer later admitted that this was his first attempt to attack someone. Mm-hmm. Despite being regarded as a fucking weirdo, uh, Dahmer also became known as something of a class clown who often staged pranks. And he be- that those pranks became known as doing a Dahmer. <laughs> that will come to mean something different later. <laughs> yeah, sure will. Um, but these included things like bleeding like a sheep and simulating epileptic seizures or cerebral palsy at school and at local stores. I'm sorry. Again, I'm sorry. Bleeding <laughs> like a sheep? What? Bleating. Oh my, oh my God. Not, not bleeding. I don't know if you can. I don't know if sheeps bleed in a particular way. I do know that they bleat. Okay, um, got it. I will try to pronounce more carefully. Uh, by 1977, Dahmer's grades had nosedived and his parents' marriage is in the toilet. They tried counseling, but they continued to fight. And when Lionel discovered that Joyce had engaged in an affair in September of that year, they called it quits, telling their sons they wanted the split to be amicable, which it wasn't. Uh, so Lionel moves out of the house in early 1978. And in May, Dahmer graduated from high school. The divorce was acrimonious, mostly because Lionel and Joyce were fighting bitterly over who would get custody of Jeff's younger brother, David. 
Oh <laughs> God, no! It's so painful. Yeah. Uh, well, to you know, Jeff's a senior. Like, so he's graduating, so they're like, "We're done with you." You know, they moved on to the younger one. That, but of course, you know, that couldn't have felt good for Jeff, who often felt alone, unloved, and isolated, even in maybe especially in his own family. So that spring, Joyce and David moved out of the family home to live with relatives in Wisconsin. But Dahmer, who had just turned eighteen, remained in the family home by himself. Oh. Shockingly, that turned out to be a problem. So on June 18th, Dahmer picked up a hitchhiker named Stephen Mark Hicks. So Dahmer lured the kid to his house on the pretext of having a few drinks. And Jeff later admitted that the sight of the shirtless Hicks hitchhiking stirred sexual feelings in him. But when Hicks started talking about girls, as 18-year-old boys will do, uh, he knows that Hicks is not going to return his feelings. So after several hours of talking, drinking, and listening to music, Hicks uh, expresses a desire to leave. And Dahmer doesn't want him to leave. So he bludgeoned him with a 10 pound dumbbell with Hicks unconscious. Uh, Dahmer strangled him to death with the bar of the dumbbell and then strips the clothes from his body so he could explore his chest with his hands. Then by his own admission, he masturbated as he stood above the corpse. The next day, Dahmer dissects Hicks' body in the basement and he buries the remains in a shallow grave in his backyard. Trigger warning. This is about to get gross. Um, a few weeks later, Jeff digs up the remains and pairs the decomposing flesh from the bones. He dissolves the flesh in acid before flushing the whole kit and caboodle down the toilet. After that, he crushed the bones with a sledgehammer and scattered them in the woodland behind his family home. That's his first murder. And we so know about this because he admitted to it later. Oh, he admitted everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. When he got caught, he was like, I, I'm, I'm bad. <laughs> Like I, I did some bad shit and I'm bad. So about six weeks later, dad comes home and he realizes that Jeff is not exactly thriving, living alone in a house with no guidance or care and hot tip. This is because 18 year olds are still functionally children uh, for the most part. They need their parents, but it's the seventies and there's a whole lot of neglect going down in that time. Uh, Not even really purposeful, just this leftover idea that like 18 year olds are full on adults and can be treated that way. But alas, this is not the case. So um, Lionel suggests that Dahmer enroll in college, which he does at Ohio state, but that does not pan out. His alcoholism is his downfall here. And he flunks out spectacularly after one term earning a 0.45 GPA. So in January of 1979, as a feisty baby Q is blessing the planet with her birth, (laughs) Jeff, not to make this about us, but you know, (laughs) but you know, (laughs) Jeff is enlisting in the army with his dad's encouragement. He trained as a medical specialist in San Antonio before being deployed to Germany in July of that same year. He was described as an average soldier, but again, alcoholism drags him down and he is ultimately honorably discharged in March of, I put 198. That's not right. So I'm going to say 1978. 198 AD. Look, 198 AD. Breaking the The man's old continuum over here. So he makes a brief sojourn to Florida and he tries to have a normal life, but he spends all his money on alcohol and soon he's back home with his dad and his stepmom in Ohio. I mean, if you're Um, struggling, don't go to Florida. I just, I was, you know, uh, a better choice could have been made, but also he's from Ohio and our sister lives in Ohio and she doesn't have great things to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that it will shock you to learn that being in the same place where all his childhood trauma occurred and where he'd already committed one murder, didn't do anything to curb his train wreck alcoholism. And not long after he is arrested for being drunk and disorderly. So um, Lionel sends Jeff to live with his grandmother in Wisconsin following that occurrence. And she's, she's described as the only person for whom Jeff really had 
openly displayed affection. So they had high hopes for this. They hope that her influence um, and a change in scenery will turn Jeff's downward spiral of a life around, but that did not go according to plan. Initially, things are going okay. He's attending church with his grandma. He's doing chores. He even gets a job as a phlebotomist. What? Yes. Well, you remember he he had medical training from the army, oh, uh, right. but but yeah, that was probably not great. So, God damn it. He's also arrested for indecent exposure and he's convicted. So now he has a record as a sex offender, which doesn't seem to hold him back. After being unemployed for a couple of years following a layoff from the friendly local phlebotomy lab, Jeff lives my dream and gets a job at the Milwaukee Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. Uh, And he also begins frequenting Milwaukee's gay bars, their bathhouses and their bookstores, because it turns out you can't run from your sexuality, even if you can't say gay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So he's getting frustrated. And so he steals a mannequin on which to perform sex acts, but his grandmother finds it and demands he gets rid of it. In retrospect, that mannequin could have saved a lot of people, but he gets rid of it. And that was a mistake because he starts using the bathhouses as a hookup spot. Totally normal at the time. But what wasn't normal is that Jeff's frustration with his sex partner's inability to lay still and act like a dead person while consummating their mutual sexual desires lead him to something kind of extreme. Um, As I said, this is this is what he wants. He he basically wants a partner who is completely immobile. So as one does, he begins drugging these partners in order to satisfy that desire. Uh, That shit happens about 12 times before the bathhouse is like, nope. And revokes his membership, which truly shows you how fucked the standards of sexual assault are. And well, they were at the time and how they continue to be. So it, that had to happen 12 times. Fucking 12 dudes had to wake up unconscious being like, what happened to me before they were like, we'd prefer you stop drugging our patrons. So in September of 86, he's again arrested this time for lewd and lascivious behavior, which is code for he masturbated in front of a couple of teenage boys. That charge was changed to disorderly conduct, and Jeff receives a year of probation and the instructions to seek therapy. Spoiler alert, he did not. He didn't, Uh, though. That's the thing about it. He didn't do that. So then in November of 1987, Jeff meets 25-year-old Stephen Toomey, I think it's Toomey, in a bar and convinces him to go to a hotel. He employs his usual drug and molest plan, but when he wakes up in the morning, he finds Stephen's body with visible signs of trauma, indicating he's been beaten to death. Wait, so, he didn't, wait, he didn't remember doing that. He doesn't remember doing it. To be fair, he was probably blackout drunk. Right. So, you know, what's a burgeoning serial killer to do? The obvious answer is to bring the body to grandma's house and dismember and discard it there, accepting the head, which he kept and purportedly made out with many times over <gasps> the next few weeks before boiling, bleaching and pulverizing the skull. Jesus Christ. Wait, how, how do you transport a body to grandma's house. I don't know. I, I'm I, the trunk of your car, maybe, or maybe you just buckle it in and hope you don't get stopped by the oh, cops. I, I don't know. Oh I'm going to tell you some things about the cops here that are going to blow your fucking mind. Okay. So um, this is kind of where Jeff goes off the rails. He realizes at this point that no one is really minding the store in his life and he can get away with almost anything. So he begins actively seeking out victims with the intention of bringing them back to his grandma's pad and murdering them. In January of 88, he engaged a 14 year old sex worker named James Dockstader to pose for some nude photos. They end up having sex. And then Jeff does his usual drug asphyxiate and then dismember the body, keeping the skull in March of 1988. The cycle repeats with 22 year old Richard Guerrero, again, keeping the skull for a few months as had become his custom. 
In April, another young man came home with Jeff and he must have used one of his nine lives because shortly after he was drugged, Jeff heard his grandmother call out to him and he decided it would not be prudent to commit murder while his Grammy is actually home. So instead, he waited for the young man to pass out and then he drove him to a nearby hospital and left him there. In September of 1988, Dahmer's grandmother asked him to move out. And this is mostly because of his drinking, but also because of his habit of bringing home young men to her house late at night. And the rancid smells that occasionally waft up from both the basement and the garage. He moves into his own place on September 25th. And two days later, he's arrested for drugging and sexually fondling a 13 year old boy. (sighs) whom he had lured to his new bachelor pad on the pretext of posing nude for photographs. Dahmer's father hired an attorney who requested that Dahmer undergo a series of psychological evaluations prior to his upcoming court hearings. These evaluations reveal that Dahmer (laughs) harbored deep feelings of alienation. Huge shock. Um, A second evaluation two months later revealed Dahmer to be an impulsive, to be impulsive, suspicious of others and dismayed by his lack of accomplishments in life. Buddy, same. Um, You don't have to eat people. It's cool. (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Cannibalism is not the fucking answer. It's that's not there's not a direct line between those things. And I know that for sure. (laughs) I'm standing in those (laughs) shoes almost every day, my friend. So. In other words, everyone I dated between the ages of 15 and 25 also <laughs> impulsive, suspicious of others and dismayed by lack of accomplishments, both me and everyone I dated. Uh, that and correct. you and me and everyone we know, <laughs> and as everyone Miranda we know. July said. Probation officer also referenced a 1987 long lost diagnosis of schizoid personality disorder that apparently was like lost in the mail. Uh, people were like, by the way. He has a schizoid personality disorder. That could have been helpful. Um, Does, what is the difference between the schizoid and like schizophrenic? I don't that- know. You, you do that on your Petrama party. <laughs> Let's okay, find we'll, out. We'll cover that. That's interesting. Yeah, do that. So on Janu- January 30th, 1989, Dahmer pleads guilty to the charges of second degree sexual assault and of enticing a child immoral purposes. Two months after his conviction and two months prior to his sentencing for the sexual assault, Dahmer murders his fifth victim, a 24-year-old aspiring model named Anthony Sears, who he met at a gay bar. Jeff lured Sears to his favorite killing spot, his grandmother's house. Wait, so he's not, he's not living. No, he has. No, I think he has his own place. He just took him to grandma's house. Oh, weird. Uh, I don't, that I don't, I looked, I couldn't find, I don't know why. I think he still has his own place. I don't know why he takes it to his grandma's house, except he kind of knows how to kill there. Right. Lots yeah. of experience, you know, right. yeah. maybe it's just like a comfort. I have no idea. So uh, the pair engages in oral sex and then Dahmer drugs and strangles him. Uh, the next morning, he decapitates the body in his grandmother's <sighs> bathtub before attempting to flay the corpse. According to Dahmer, he found Sears exceptionally attractive and Sears was the first victim from whom he permanently retained any body parts. He preserved Sears head and genitalia and acetone and stored them in a wooden box when he knew moved to a new apartment the following year he took those remains with him on may 23rd Dahmer was sentenced to five years probation and one year in the house of correction with work release permitted in order that he be able to keep his job he was also required to register as a sex offender which seems about right Two months before his scheduled release from the work camp, he's paroled. Once released, Dahmer temporarily moved back to his grandmother's house before in May 1990, moving into the Oxford apartments located in Milwaukee. This, I believe, is where he's going to get caught. So on May 14th, 1990, Dahmer moves out of his grandmother's house into this new apartment, apartment 213 on 924 North 25th Street, taking Sears' mummified head and genitals with him. 
Mm. Within a week of his moving into this new apartment, Dahmer had killed his sixth victim, 32-year-old sex worker Raymond Smith. The following day, Dahmer purchased a Polaroid camera and he took several pictures of Smith's body in suggestive positions before dismembering him in the bathroom. Mm. He boiled the legs, arms, and pelvis in a steel kettle, which allowed him to then rinse the bones in the sink. Dahmer dissolved the remains of Smith's skeleton, excluding the skull in a container filled with acid. He later spray painted Smith's skull, which he placed alongside the skull of Anthony Spears. No, Wait, Sears. Sorry. He spray painted his skull? Oh, yeah. He's using them as decoration in his house. Oh. So you know how, like, you've been in people's houses, particularly in that goth period in the 90s, and you'd see people who have, like, those, like, skulls, and they're using them for, you know, like, candles and shit like that. Oh. Well, if you went to his house, that shit would be real. Oh, God. So foul. So about a... Yeah. So about a week after Smith's murder, Dahmer coaxed another young man into his apartment with the intention of killing and dismembering him. But this time, uh, Jeff accidentally <laughs> drank the sedatives intended for the guest. <laughs> Great. I love this. And when he, <laughs> when he woke up the next day, he discovered his intended victim had stolen several pieces of clothing, $300 and a watch. Great. Um, yeah, that guy, I don't know his name. Well done. Well done, um, sir. Lucky star, sir. I don't know yeah. what to say. Uh, so in June of 1990, Dahmer invites 27-year-old acquaintance Edward Smith to his apartment where he drugs and strangles him. This time, Jeff puts Smith's skeleton in his freezer for several months in the hope it would not retain moisture, but that didn't work. And the body had to be bleached and acidified several months later. Jeff accidentally destroyed the skull when he put it in the oven to dry, a process that actually caused the skull to explode. Jeff later told the police that he felt rotten about Smith's murder as he had been unable to keep any parts of the body. Three months after Smith's murder, Dahmer murdered 22-year-old Ernest Miller in his usual fashion by drugging and then dismembering him. He posed Miller's nude body in various suggestive Polaroid photographs before placing it in his bathtub for dismemberment. And reportedly, and by reportedly, that means he said it, he kissed and spoke to the severed head while dismembering the remainder of the body. Supposedly, Jeff wrapped Miller's heart, biceps, and portions of flesh from the legs in plastic bags and placed them in the fridge for later consumption. He preserved the skeleton and the severed head. Uh, he preserved the skeleton and the severed head was initially placed in the refrigerator before also being stripped of flesh and then painted and coated with enamel. Wait, three weeks what? after what? What is that? What's enamel? What's enamel? About? I mean, I know what enamel, but what? So what's happening? He's decorating his house with dead people's bodies. Just uh, let it, let it, let it soak in. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, what the fuck is yeah. happening? It's, it's upsetting. Um, so three weeks after Miller's murder on September 24th, Dahmer encounters 22 year old David Thomas at the Grand Avenue mall. And he persuades him to return to his apartment for a few drinks. Jeff later admitted that after giving Thomas a drug drink, he did not feel attracted to him, but he was afraid to allow him to awake in case he would be angry over having been drugged. So he strangled him and dismembered the body, but he didn't keep any of the body parts. Oh. And then after that, he didn't kill anyone for almost five months, uh, but it was not for lack of trying. On a minimum, a minimum of five occasions between October 1990 and February 1991, he unsuccessfully tried to lure men to his apartment. And it's during that time that he also regularly complained of feeling both anxiety and depression to his probation officer. On several occasions, Dahmer is known to have spoken about having suicidal thoughts. I mean, I get that. Um, who among us? <laughs> not, not an excuse for cannibalism. No. 
so in February of 91, Dahmer sees 17 year old Curtis Strader. I think that's how you pronounce that. S-T-R-A-U-G-H-T-E-R. Strader standing at a bus stop near Marquette University. And he lures him into his apartment by offering him money to pose for nude photos. And he drugs him, cuffs his hands behind his back and strangles him to death with a leather strap. He dismembers Strader, but kept his skull, hands and genitals and photograph and he photographed each stage of the dismemberment process, which came in super handy for the cops later. Less than two months later, on April 7th, Dahmer meets 19-year-old Errol Lindsay, and he again he coaxes Lindsay to his apartment, drugs him, but this time he drills a hole in his skull and pours hydrochloric acid into it. According to Dahmer, Lindsay woke up after this experiment saying, I have a headache. What time is it? To which oh. Jeff responded by drugging him again and then strangling him. He decapitated Lindsay and he kept his skull and then he flayed Lindsay's body, placing the skin in cold salted water for several weeks in the hope of permanently retaining it, i.e. he pickled the dude. He eventually had to reluctantly dispose of Lindsay's skin when he noted that it had become too frayed and brittle. By 91, the other residents of the Oxford apartment complex had repeatedly complained to the building manager about the foul smells emanating from apartment 213, in addition to the sound of falling objects and the occasional sound of a chainsaw. Management did contact Dahmer in response to these complaints on several occasions, and Jeff initially excused the odors coming from his apartment as being caused by spoiled meat from a broken freezer. And then on later occasions, he claimed that the reason for the resurgence of the odor was that several of his tropical fish had died and he said he would take care of it and my god the fucking backbends people had to do <laughs> to avoid seeing what this man was getting away with yeah my tropical fish died and that my, smells i love <laughs> and so what, what does that mean oh i they're just chilling on my table i just left them there to decompose yeah my fish died and i just left them in the um i just threw them in the water smelling i guess i, just I don't them mind on the couch they're decomposing bodies to watch tv i i I can't imagine. I can't. I mean, I've been a landlord. If someone said that shit to me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. red flag. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, the old red one. Okay. So on May 26, 1991, Dahmer um, runs into 14 year old Lao teenager, Conorick. I tried so hard with this name, Synthasmophone. Synthasmophone. Synthasymphone. I think that's it. And you said you said he's Lao. He's Lao. Yeah. Okay. Unbeknownst to Dahmer, Synthasymphone is the younger brother of the boy whom he had molested in 1988. Oh my god. Yeah. So he offers him money for pictures, takes him to his apartment, where the kid posed for pictures in his underwear before Dahmer drugs him into unconsciousness and performs oral sex on him. Then he drills a hole into Synthasymphone's skull through which he injects hydrochloric acid right to the frontal lobe of his brain. Before Synthasymphone falls unconscious, Dahmer leads the boy into his bedroom where uh, another body is still naked on the floor. Um, Synthasymphone did not react to seeing the bloated corpse, slightly likely because of the sleeping pills. Wait, did I fuck this up? Huh. No, that made sense. No, that's right. Okay. Yeah. I feel like, okay. So anyway, um, where are we? Oh, yeah. So there's he's got a dead body on the floor. Synthasymphone does not react to seeing this bloated corpse, likely because of the sleeping pills and the hydrochloric acid in his frontal lobe. So he falls unconscious, whereupon Dahmer drinks several beers while lying next to him before leaving his apartment to drink at a bar and then purchase more alcohol. When he returns to his apartment, he finds Synthasymphone sitting naked on the corner of 25th and State talking in Lao with three 
pretty horrified young black women who were standing near him. Dahmer approaches the women and tells them that the that Synthasmphone was his friend and attempts to lead him back to his apartment by the arm. But those three black women are immediately suspicious because fucking duh. Yeah. What and the fuck? they they're like, now we called 911. So, OK, prepare to get pissed. So two Milwaukee police officers show up, John Balserzak and Joseph Gabrish. Total, immediately total fucking balser sack over there. <laughs> but mega balser sack. Say about this. I already know he's a balser sack. So Dahmer tells the officers that Synthasm phone was his 19 year old boyfriend. The kid's 14 and that he just had too much drink following an argument. And this kind of behavior is normal when he's drunk. The three women did not buy that shit. And when one of them tries to point out to the officers that Synthasm phone has blood on his testicles, he's bleeding from his rectum. and that he had struggled against Dahmer's attempts to force him into his apartment prior to their arrival, the officers bluntly tell her to butt out, shut the hell up, and not to interfere. Oh, my God. The Milwaukee, yeah, it's bad. The Milwaukee Fire Department shows up not long after the police, and unlike the cops, they are suspicious. But the cops tell them to leave, and they do. Shortly thereafter, Officer Richard Porubkan, Porub. Porub can uh, arrived at the scene and then he and officers Gabrish and Balserzak escort Dahmer and Synthasmphone to Dahmer's apartment as Dahmer repeatedly comments on the general crime in the neighborhood and of his appreciation of the police, mm. which I'm sure was heartfelt. Oh, yeah. In that moment, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, inside the apartment, Dahmer shows the cops some half naked photos of Synthasmphone to prove that the 14 year old is his boyfriend. Hot tip. 14-year-olds don't look like 19-year-olds most of the time. Um, Balserzak later said that he didn't smell anything weird, which I call bullshit on. Uh, But Gabrish admitted that he noted a strange scent reminiscent of shit. That's what he said, of actual poop inside the apartment. For those who've lost the plot, that odor would have been the decomposing body in his bedroom. Uh, So Dahmer said that in an attempt to investigate the scent one officer peeked his head around the bedroom but didn't really take a look which if true is a drastic fucking understatement because he failed to notice (laughs) what body actual fuck (laughs) are you talking about Mm -hmm. the officers then left telling Dahmer to take good care of some fasten phone and they listed the incident as a domestic dispute after the officers left, Dahmer again injects hydrochloric acid into <sighs> Synthasmphone's brain, and that injection proved fatal. The following day, May 28th, Dahmer took a day's leave from work to dismember the bodies of Synthasmphone uh, and the other body in his place. <sighs> I think it was someone named, he- I don't know. I don't know who it is, honestly. I'm running out. There's so many bodies. Uh, but he keeps both of their skulls. On June 30th, Jeff met a 20-year-old named Matt Turner at a bus station in Chicago. And unfortunately for Mr. Turner, he accepted Dahmer's offer to travel to Milwaukee for a professional photo shoot where he was drugged, strangled, and dismembered. Jeff placed Turner's head and internal organs in separate plastic bags in the freezer. And then five days later, on July 5th, he lures 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger from a Chicago bar to his apartment where he again drugs Weinberger and twice injects boiling water through his skull, which sends him into a coma from which he died two days later. Do we know, do we have a a body count at this point? Oh, we'll we'll get there at the end. Okay. On July 15th, he encounters 24-year-old Oliver Lacey at the corner of 27th and Kilbourne, and he brings him ostensibly for a photo shoot, maybe a little sexy time back to his apartment. 
He drugs a young man and he tried to extend the time he had with him alive by injecting him with chloroform, but that didn't work out. So he strangled him, had sex with his corpse and then dismembered him. He placed Lacey's head and heart in the refrigerator and his skeleton in the freezer. Four days later on July 19th, Dahmer received word that he was fired. And I guess to celebrate, he coaxes 25 year old Joseph Braidhoff to his apartment and he does his usual deal where he strangles him. And then he leaves him lying on his bed covered with a sheet for two days. On July 21st, Dahmer removes these sheets to find the head covered in maggots. So he decapitated the body, cleaned the head and placed it in the refrigerator. It felt very much like Dahmer could not be stopped, but ultimately he was. And the story is crazy. So on July 22nd, 1991, Jeff offers three men $100 to pose nude in his apartment, drink some beer, and just keep him company. One guy, 32-year-old Tracy Edwards, took him up on the offer, and when he entered Dahmer's apartment, he notices a foul odor and several boxes of hydrochloric acid just kicking it on the floor, which Dahmer claimed he used to clean bricks. After some casual conversation, Dahmer points out his tropical fish tank to Edwards, and when Edwards turns to look, Dahmer places a handcuff on his wrist. As his life is undoubtedly flashing before his eyes, Edwards asks, what's happening? As Dahmer unsuccessfully attempts to cuff his wrist together, and then he tells Edwards to accompany him to the bedroom to pose for the nude photos. Once inside the bedroom, Edwards notes notes nude male posters on the wall and that a videotape of The Exorcist 3 is playing. Oh, my God. I can't. I mean, it's a nightmare. So he also took note of a blue 57 gallon drum in the corner from which a from which a strong and deeply unpleasant smell emanated. No. Dahmer brandished a knife and informed Edwards that he intended to take nude photos of him. Edwards played along, unbuttoning his shirt, saying he would allow Dahmer to do so if he would take off the handcuffs and put the knife away. Dahmer responds by simply turning his attention towards the TV. Edwards watched Dahmer rocking back and forth, chanting before turning to Edwards, placing his head on Edwards' chest and listening to his heartbeat with the knife pressed up against Edwards. This is the moment he informs Edwards he intends to eat his heart. Oh, no. In what I can only imagine is a full panic, Edwards repeats that he is Dahmer's friend and that he's not going to run away. Uh, Edwards had decided that he was either going to jump from a window or run through an unlocked front door at the next available opportunity. And since none seemed to be forthcoming, he decided he needed to create one. Edwards tells Dahmer that he needs to use the bathroom. And when he doesn't get anywhere with that, he asks if they can go sit with the beer in the living room where there is air conditioning. Dahmer agrees. They walk into the living room and Edwards requests to use the bathroom again. When Edwards got up from the couch, he sees that Dahmer is not holding the handcuff. So Edwards punches him in the face yes. and runs out the front door. Yeah. Yes. At about 1130 p.m., he flags down two Milwaukee police officers, uh, Robert Ralph and Rolf, 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 R-O-L-F, Rolf, Ralph, Rolf, Rolf. I don't know. Anyway, Officer Mueller, I'm going to call him that. And they notice that Edwards has a handcuff attached to his wrist. Edward explains to the officers that a freak had placed the handcuffs on him. And then he asked if the police could remove them. When the officer's handcuff key failed to fit the brand of handcuffs, Edwards agrees to take the officers to the apartment where Edwards had been attacked. And when I read that, I was like, if the key had worked, they'd have been like, okay, be on your way. Can you imagine? Also, though, I'm not going back to that fucking apartment. I don't care. I'll figure out a fucking (laughs) alternative. I'm not like, I just, I just live with this handcuff on me now. It's fine. Yeah. Let me just, yeah. Whoa. whoa, Let's walk. It's a bracelet. I don't know what you thought. Yeah. 
But anyway, this guy agrees to go back. Um, so no. when they arrive at apartment 213, Dahmer invites everybody inside no. and acknowledges that he had placed the handcuffs on Edwards, but he didn't show he's like not explaining why. So at this point, Edwards pointedly told the officers that Dahmer had also threatened him with a large knife and that this had happened in the bedroom. Dahmer makes no comment, but he does indicate to one of the officers that the key to the handcuffs is in his bedside dresser. As Officer Mueller enters the bedroom, no. Dahmer attempts to bypass the officer to retrieve the key himself, whereupon Officer Routh tells him to back off. In the bedroom, Mueller sees a large knife underneath the bed. He also sees an open drawer full of Polaroid pictures, mm, no. which on closer inspection no, no. are of human bodies in various stages of dismemberment. Oh, God. Mueller looks at the pictures, realizes that they had been taken in the apartment in which he's standing. So he walks into the living room and he shows them to his partner, saying in disbelief, this shit is for real. Jeff realizes he's in trouble. So he fought with the officers in a misguided effort to resist arrest. The officers quickly overpower him, cuff his hands behind his back and call the second squad car for backup. At this point, Mueller opens up the refrigerator to reveal the freshly severed head of a black male on the bottom shelf. As Dahmer lay pinned on the floor beneath Ralph, he turned his head towards the officers and says, for what I did, I should be dead. A more detailed search of the apartment revealed a total of four severed heads in Dahmer's kitchen. A total of seven skulls, some painted, some bleached, were found in Dahmer's bedroom and inside a closet. Uh, inside a closet. In addition, investigators discovered, uh, oh, I hate this so much. They They discovered and then collected blood drippings from a tray at the bottom of Dahmer's refrigerator. Oh, barf. Oh, so nauseous. <laughs> oh my God. Honestly, because like I've cleaned out the bottom of my refrigerator and it does get gross, but like totally. Oh Plus totally. it's two- just like, it's one thing when it's like a fucking peach. I'm like, that- oh, pickle juice melted. Ew. You know? Yeah. It's like so many nope. gross things, but, but if not that, if it's like actually like human, like fluids. Yeah. Oh God. Oh God. Yeah. It's bad. So in addition to that, they find two human hearts and a portion of arm muscle, each wrapped inside plastic bags upon shelves in Dahmer's freezer. Investigators discovered an entire torso, plus a bag of human organs and flesh stuck to the ice at the bottom of the freezer. Jesus, it's just like the it's like an actual fucking horror show. Like it's a literal nightmare. Yeah. So elsewhere in apartment 213, investigators discovered two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands. Two severed and preserved penises. We know whose they are. Uh, a mummified scalp. And in the 57-gallon drum, three further dismembered torsos dissolving in acid solution. Oh. A total of 74 Polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberment of Dahmer's victims were discovered. Dahmer waived his right to have a lawyer present throughout his interrogation, adding that he wished to confess as he had created this horror and it only makes sense I do everything to put an end to it. He readily admitted to having murdered 16 young men in Wisconsin since 1987 with one further victim, his first one, Stephen Hicks, killed in Ohio in 1978. He also readily admitted to engaging in necrophilia with several of his victims' bodies, including performing sex acts with their viscera as he dismembered their bodies in the bathtub. In addition, Dahmer confessed to having consumed the hearts, livers, biceps, and portions of thighs of several victims he had killed within the previous year, often tenderizing the flesh and organs prior to consuming them in meals flavored with various condiments. Describing the increase in his rate of killings in the two months prior to his arrest, Dahmer stated that he had been completely swept along by his compulsion to kill, adding it was an incessant and never ending desire to be with someone at whatever cost. It just filled my thoughts all day long. Mm. 
When asked as to why he had preserved a total of seven skulls with the entire skeletons of two victims, Dahmer stated that he had been in the process of constructing a private altar of victim skulls, which he had intended to display on the black table located in his living room and upon which he had photographed the bodies of many of his victims. When asked in an interview whom the altar was dedicated to, Dahmer replied, myself, it was a place where I could feel at home. He further described his intended altar as a place for meditation from where he believed he could draw a sense of power, adding, if this arrest had happened six months later, that's what they would have found. Oh, my God. On July 25th, 1991, he's charged with four counts of first degree murder. By August 22nd, he had been charged with a further 11 murders committed in Wisconsin. And on September 17th, he's charged by authorities in Ohio with Stephen Hicks murder. Jeff pleads guilty, so the issue wasn't a matter of whether he committed the crimes, but rather if he's mentally competent enough to be held responsible. I don't think that anyone's arguing whether or not he was mentally well. I, I think the answer to that is pretty obvious. But the defense was claiming that his necrophilic drive was indicative of insanity, while the prosecution maintained that any disorders that afflicted Dahmer did not deprive him of the ability to appreciate the criminality of his conduct or to deny him of the ability to resist his impulses. Two court-appointed mental health professionals testified independent of either prosecution or defense, and they were forensic psychiatrist George Palermo and clinical psychologist Samuel Friedman. Palermo stated that the murders, the murders were the result of a, quote, pent-up aggression, aggression within himself, as in within Dahmer. He killed those men because he wanted to kill the source of his homosexual attractions to them. In killing them, he killed what he hated in himself. Palermo concluded that Dahmer had a severe mixed personality disorder with antisocial, obsessive compulsive, sadistic, fetishistic, borderline, and necrophilic features, but deemed him otherwise legally sane. That's a big otherwise, but okay. Um, Yeah, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. Uh, Uh, Besides the hating himself, the OCD, the borderline personality disorder, the necrophilia, and the sadism, he's uh, fine. Other than the cannibalism, Um, the guy's doing great. So Friedman testified that it was a longing for companionship that caused Dahmer to kill. He stated unequivocally that Dahmer was not psychotic, but he did speak kindly of Dahmer, describing him as, quote, amiable, pleasant to be with, courteous, with a sense of humor, conventionally handsome and charming in manner. Dr. Friedman, in fact, (laughs) described Jeffrey Dahmer as a bright young man. That guy fully had a crush on him. (laughs) He diagnosed Dahmer with a personality disorder, not otherwise specified, featuring borderline, obsessive compulsive and sadistic traits. On February 15th, the court reconvened to hear the verdict. Dahmer was ruled to be sane and not suffering from a mental disorder at the time of each of the 15 murders for which he was tried. He was sentenced to life imprisonment plus 10 years on the first two counts and the remaining 13 counts carried a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment plus 70 years. The death penalty was not an option as Wisconsin had abolished capital punishment in 1853. Three months after he was convicted in Milwaukee, Dahmer was extradited to Ohio, where he was charged with the murder of Stephen Hicks. In a court hearing that lasted just 45 minutes, Dahmer again pleaded guilty to the charge and was sentenced to a 16th term of life imprisonment on May 1st, 1992. Jeff was transferred to the Columbia Correctional Institution, and he spent his first year in prison, mostly just in solitary confinement, basically for his own safety. But after that, he was moved to a less secure unit where he begins to express an interest in God and religion. And he eventually became, wait for it, a boarding no. in Christian. No. And he's baptized. Yeah, yeah, you saw it coming. 
On the morning of November 28th, 1994, Dahmer left his cell for his regularly assigned work detail. Accompanying him were two fellow inmates, Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver. The group was left unsupervised in the prison's gym showers for about 20 minutes. Um, that's long enough for Scarver to murder both Anderson and Dahmer. At approximately 8.10 a.m., Dahmer is discovered on the bathroom floor suffering from extreme head wounds. He had been severely bludgeoned in the face and his head had also been repeatedly slammed against the wall in the assault. Although he was alive when he was discovered, he was pronounced dead at a local hospital one hour later. Anderson had also been beaten with the same instrument and died two laters from his wound. Two laters? I'm sorry, two days later from his wound. It's like, what does it mean? Two days what does wait, any of this mean? So wait, one so, of one of those guys killed both of them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. I I didn't realize that someone else. I thought it was like specific to Dahmer, like that someone was the like guy. Here's the deal: the guy that killed him was a paranoid schizophrenic, and he initially he's made a couple of claims. He claimed that he did it because Dahmer's a sick son of a bitch. Um, sure. You know, okay. But then he also said that the two people were laughing at him and that's mm. why he did it. Mm. Um, we're never, I, I honestly don't, I mean, he was also, I'm fairly certain a murderer. So, I mean, maybe not with the same distinction as Dahmer, uh, but you know, not no choir boy. So, right. um, I, he was, so, uh, it was three murderers left alone together, you know, right? yeah. Bad things, bad things yeah. happen. Right. And, that, and it did bad thing happen. So, uh, okay. Well, let's... I imagine it's about to get weird. <laughs> oh, it's been weird, honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I mean, sometimes the stars are just fuckers, you know, uh, which were my, what was that? Wasn't that a toy lyric? Star fucker. Star fucker. Just like your daddy. Just like your daddy. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. On that note, Dahmer's chart is intense as fuck. Shock. Um, can we just th- say that I'm shocked he's not a Pisces? I would have put money on him being a Pisces. Interesting. Interesting. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> that, but the energy that, you know, every, what everyone kind of feels bad for Dahmer, right? We talked about that last week. I don't know if everyone does. Okay, I well, know that I, I mean, I don't, I don't actually think that's the general consensus around Jeffrey Dahmer, but I, I don't like talking about this case because I do. Well, okay. You're right. Not everyone. And you know how I feel about empathy. It's useless. So <laughs> Kitana hates it. <laughs> no feeling. Ew, gross. Why? No, thank you. Um, yeah, but so there, what I mean is of all the serial killers, I think he's the one who garners the most compassion maybe. Uh, I think that's a controversial statement. I'm going to be honest. And I think, well, and, and if it, if, if there's any truth to it, it's because he, he confessed because he was like, I'm a piece of shit. You know, I think that's where people are like, Oh, he was, he was sad. You know, he knew, I I think it's because it was, you know, like I said, there were, I remember when this happened in the early nineties and watching the news, (laughs) stellar parenting, (laughs) should not have been watching that shit with yeah. mom to, i mean it's not her fault that like all every everybody all my friends were watching this shit too in retrospect yikes uh but we were watching that shit there were there were psychologists weighing in on like he was incredibly lonely yeah just incredibly lonely I like think he was that's, like 
that's yeah. the thing that makes people like he was trying to build friends i mean that's a, that's what he, he was trying to get people to stay Right. Okay. Okay. So that's what you're talking about when you're talking about Pisces. But let me tell you, there's, there's a lot of, um, it's very clear in his chart why that was going on. So I'll start with this. Cause there's a lot here. He's got a configuration in his chart called a sailboat, which sounds cute, but, but it isn't, I, is it? <laughs> well, it could have been, you know, except clearly, in hindsight, <laughs> it definitely was not. But it sailed the other direction is what you're saying. Yeah, it sailed right into hell. So <laughs> when we look at the points on this configuration, it becomes obvious why it was such a shit show. So let's talk about the sailboat. This configuration has an opposition. And along one side of that opposition, those two opposing points. So if you imagine, so an opposition is when you know, two points are 180 degrees away. So opposite sides of the Zodiac, right? And they're connected by three sextals and they, and those form the bottom of the boat. So on the, so if you imagine it's like a straight line and then three kind of, you know, three lines beneath that are forming like a round sort of like a, like a boat. Yeah. Thank you. That's exactly it. On the other side of the opposition is a T-square, which is when you have an opposition that's being squared by a third point. A square is 90 degrees, right? So so, um, it forms a triangle, right? Those three point, the opposition, and and then the third point making a triangle. So that is the sail of the sailboat, okay? That's just to help you all visualize it. When you see this in a chart, it's actually really good for having, uh, it's so, so irksome to say, enthusiasm around a goal that you're able to enact and be successful with on a collective level, right? Okay. Well, so, uh, <laughs> that goal though, turned out right. to be troubling, problematic. Right. Yeah. The so least. the goal was not chill. Unfortunately, <laughs> in this case, um, you know, oh, and oh no, if you're like out there trying to end world hunger and you have like a sailboat, fucking yes, yes, awesome. But he just ate people and kept their heads in boxes and shit. So, no, okay, he kept them on his dressers where you could yeah, see them, he, and talk yeah, to them, right? Okay, so I I was just gonna not say that part, but. I already said it a couple of times. It's been said. I know. And I'm sick to my stomach. (laughs) Okay. So let's look at the points that are being connected here. Dahmer has Pluto in Virgo in the 12th house. So let's just pause because. Oh no. What the fuck with Pluto in the 12th house? And, And we've seen that before. Right. And like. It definitely for sure lends itself to having dark, violent, sexual shit that's either being hidden away or that the person themselves can't even acknowledge. Like it's what's the 12th house again? The 12th house is the house of trauma, of mental health, of oh, no. secrets, oh, of the no. subconscious. You don't want Pluto in that house. No, 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 no. So, um, our dude who we're pretty sure was Jack the Ripper. He had, yeah, he had Pluto that. in the 12th house. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron Kaminsky. That guy. Yeah. Motherfucking yeah, Aaron Kaminsky. Yeah. Okay. 
So where was I? Boop, boop. Um, Okay, right. So they may not, when you have Pluto here, you may not even be able to acknowledge the, the, the sort of compulsive desire because it's so, it might feel so shameful to you. And let me say, if you have, if you have Pluto in the 12th house, but it's not negatively aspected, that's a whole different deal. Unfortunately for Dahmer's victims, that was not the case for him. So here we go. Okay. He's got that Pluto. Pluto works with sexuality, violence, death. Pluto is Scorpio's planetary ruler. So this is death and rebirth. Kind of just really the most painful things in the chart. Pluto overseas, right? Okay. So Pluto then sextals Neptune in Scorpio in the second house. So let's pause there. The second house is ruled by Taurus. It's the house of income, wealth, self-worth, and something you don't hear as much physical affection and sex because earthy ass Taurus is extremely physical. Taurus wants to touch and have sex and be sensual. Having Scorpio in the second house tells me a couple things. This is someone Mm. who has a Mm. lot of sexual energy, someone who has a deep need for sexual touch, dark sexual energy. Well, because it's, it's right in contact with Pluto. Yeah. Not having, having Scorpio in the second house doesn't necessarily mean it'll be dark, but But it can, right? But it can, right. It can. In its shadow, Scorpio can get some dark shit. Yes. And when you're, when you have that direct relationship with Pluto in the 12th house, that's real, that's problematic. Okay. It's not good. Yeah. The other thing to think about here is the second house is also the house of self-worth and we're dealing with Scorpio. So this is also someone who's going to have a lot of painful experiences, deaths and rebirths, which is what Scorpio represents around their own self-worth. It's not going to be an easy ride, right? So we have Neptune in the second house in Scorpio. Neptune is the planet that oversees how we transcend our pain and obstacles. Do we do drugs? Do we become born again? No. do do we read tarot yes 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 do we lie to ourselves or others do we do (laughs) yes yes all of that right all of these are neptune's realms right the problem with neptune is not in the planet itself but in how we apply its medicine if we fall into the trap that neptune can create which is being dishonest or um, trying to escape our problems with drugs and sex or whatever, then we'll fuck our, we love, we love it until it doesn't work. That's the fucked up thing about it. It's a, it's a mirage, right? And that's, that's the allure of Neptune. It's Neptune is the ocean, right? It's the siren calling to you only to like, you know, break your fucking head on a rock and wear it as a, you know, helmet or whatever. I don't know. That's side note. Have you seen the pictures of they're like, this is what a mermaid actually looks like. No. What do you mean? Dude, you need to Google that sometime. Like they're, I don't know if any of this is true, but they're saying that they're actual, like they've found things that are actual mermaids. What? It does not look like Ariel. What does it It look like? It's terrifying. It looks like an alien with a fish tail. 
it's Wait, really scary. There's it, a lot of teeth involved. I don't understand. Is it just a fish? A mermaid is half human. Yes. Um, it's human-ish. It's got like a head and shoulders and arms. Oh my god, and like what? And like a chest region. Can you I don't please- know. If- Send this. To I will. Me right I now. will find some pictures, and I can't do it right. Now. But yes, I will find some because I was like, I saw this, and they were like, "This is these are actual like mermaid creatures, like the Area Fifty Four shit, Fifty One, Fifty is Studio Fifty Four, Area Fifty One. Right. <laughs> I get it oh, mixed up. Area Fifty Four is so cool. It's all these aliens <laughs> with fucking dancing, like dancing, doing coke in well. the bathroom. <laughs> They're like beep boop, ah boop. Yeah, uh, hilarious. Um, oh man, uh, all good night times. long. Those aliens, <laughs> they just they don't sleep. They don't need it. Uh, but yeah, uh, okay. uh, like they, they're like supposedly they're like pictures that I mean, and I'm at the point now where I'm like, if you told me the government was like, yes, we definitely found mermaids were keeping from you guys. I'm like, yeah, that checks out like you and you as you should. We don't trust us. We're the worst. Um, yeah. But yeah. So there's supposedly pictures of mermaids and they are they are terrifying. Oh, uh, okay. this is this is your job for the week is to post that to the to the oh terrifying have, mermaid pictures. Yes. To the sign of the crime on it. Instagram. We have an Instagram, by the way. It's free to tell people this. Uh, at what is it? At sign of the crime. Pod? I think it's sign of the crime pod. Yeah. Oh my god. Remember with the whole debacle. We're the so whole bad. debacle. Is, yes, um, we had such a hard time creating it because of Mercury retrograde. It is up. It is sign of the crime pod. That's it. Okay, and go there and find cues, pics of. You will also find a sign of the crime um, uh, Instagram, and there's nothing on it because I created it during Mercury retrograde like six months ago. And I was like, cool, except the Instagram was like, oh, this didn't work. You need to do again. And then I tried to do it again. They're like, this already exists. They're like, I was like, what? And they're like, and you can't get in here. And you can't get in here. We, we say tried so. for months. Yeah. yeah. So, so. Um, if you know anyone at Instagram who could maybe <laughs> help me get back into that, <laughs> that'd be super. Because I was like, well, the, I was like this password. I they use this password. Like, we don't like it. It doesn't work. They're anyway. like, hate that password for you. So, yeah. No. So. So now it's sign of the crime pod. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. Okay. Okay. So, so again, so we're looking at Neptune in Scorpio in the second house. And what I see here with this trio is someone who was using sexuality and, and the physical body as a way to escape the pain he had around his own self-worth. There's of course also the element of death that Scorpio represents. That's now being combined with sex and touch and sensuality Scorpio together with Taurus. Okay. So now we have Pluto in Virgo in the 12th house. We have Neptune and Scorpio in the second house. They're sextile and they are extremely not chill. And those are the first two points in our sailboat. Neptune is then sextile to Saturn in Capricorn in the fourth house, which is the house of home life and childhood. Now this is so interesting Anytime I see either Saturn or Capricorn in the fourth house, I'm like, oh, either we're talking about issues with a strict father or a rigid, strict upbringing or a family that was like steeped in the patriarchy, like a super religious Bible Belt family, a military family, something like that. He has both. He has Saturn in Capricorn in the fourth house. He also has Jupiter here. Um, But let's just like focus on Saturn for now. So far, we've seen a lot of sexual stuff. Pluto is sexual, Scorpio, Taurus. Now, all of a sudden, that sexuality, right? Those were the points on our boat. Now, all of a sudden, those are being joined up with 
this Saturn energy, this cap energy rules, tradition, patriarchal expectations, discipline, punishment, the law and the father. So what I'm seeing is pretty clear. The man was gay in a traditional, you know, Christian family where that kind of shit was not cool in a time when it was illegal and super unacceptable. Christian. They were from what I've read. Yeah. And also his, he, his grandma was Christian. His grandmother was definitely Christian. Yeah. Yeah. So they come from this background of Christianity, the culture, right? American culture at the time is not about being gay. It's just oh, like it's totally different now. It's so different now. Well, I mean, yeah, we're so different. We're really, we we're really struggling. As we're a so evolved. Uh, yeah, <laughs> really struggling. But at least it wasn't. At least now, at for now, who fucking knows what's about to happen in this shit show we're going through? But at least for now, gay marriage is legal. For example, and then you know, with all the sodomy laws and, but you know, it was like, yeah, I you see could, what you're saying. You could be murdered by a police person for for being gay and it would have been yeah well you shouldn't have been gay then you know like that was that was just kind of the energy of the time so so where was i okay so his father was probably and i mean i don't think his dad was a bad guy but he he probably was someone who upheld order structure tradition you know maybe religion to some extent i don't really know what his dad's background was in particular and because that has this connection to the 12th house through these sex dolls, the 12th house where our trauma and subconscious thoughts are kept. And then there's this connection to the house of self-worth. I would say Dahmer's sexual desires not only made him feel like an unworthy you know, piece of shit, they were also being stuffed deep down into his psyche in an attempt to protect himself from those feelings of worthlessness. So there's one more sex doll here to complete our boat bottom. And that's, of course, Chiron. Chiron. Oh, God, we haven't even talked about Chiron yet. <laughs> in Pisces. No. In no. The, the sixth house. Okay. As we know, Chiron represents the place in our life where we, ex- we experience our deepest wounds. Chiron in Pisces is often a signal that this person feels victimized. You know, you're not the victim. He's the victim. That's one way that Chiron and Pisces can manifest. Like I'm the victim at all costs, you know, kind of an, which I've talked about this before. A lot of times you'll see narcissists have Chiron and Pisces because they're like, everything's about what a victim they are and they can never take responsibility for themselves. And maybe Dahmer did feel that way to some extent. Maybe that allowed him to do what he did. But Pisces is also the sign that struggles the hardest with boundaries. I think maybe I've talked about this before, but my favorite Pisces beat in the world is the one where there's some dude on a beach and a wave is washing up onto the shore and he's hammering a nail into the sand. Yeah, I've talked about this one before. Like kind of around the wave. And then the uh-huh. man says something like Pisces trying to set boundaries. Like the you know, they're the ones who struggle the hardest with boundaries. It's a wound around having to be separate from others when you absolutely do not want to be separate. You want to be joined. And then we're in the sixth house, which is such a chilling fucking house for this for a couple of reasons. One, the sixth house is a house of health, which I, I think when we say that word, we think of the abstract concept of health, but it's not abstract because it's ruled by Virgo. Virgo is an earth sign again, physical, 
And Virgo is often thought of as the sign of the nurse, those who deal with the anatomy of the physical body. The sixth house is a place where the body is handled and anatomically. Okay. So that's reason number one. Reason number two, why this freaks me out is because the sixth house handles your routines, your daily living, your chores, your nine to five grind, that kind of thing. So having Chiron here to me tells me that that this wound of separation was channeled into this thing that felt like a normal part of daily living, like this stuff that he, this breaking bodies down and, you know, making them his altar and like all of this stuff, this was his routine. This was just part of his daily life. Well, it had to be, I mean, you open up his fridge and there was a head. Yeah. Like it, if you've gotten to that point, right. you move past the shock factor of it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like this, this he is had a just- 50 cell and 57 gallon drum with bodies and it just chilling next to his bed. Right. Yeah. This, exactly. You're, this is just, a, Oh, my chore. I'm just doing my thing that I do every day. Okay. And because we're at the last sextile, right in the boat, what that means is that that first point Pluto and the last point Chiron form the opposition. So we have Pluto opposing Chiron, which means that that deep wound of separation is being channeled into Pluto in the 12th house, that combo of sexuality, death, violence, trauma, and the subconscious, you know, that we know of that that's what the 12th house is. That's Pluto in the 12th house. So that's most of our sailboat, but we still have the point that creates the T square on the other side of this opposition. So let's review T-square real quick. The opposition in a T-square represents the tension going on in the person's life. So here the tension is between wanting to become one with others via the physical body, right? That's Chiron and Pisces Okay, in the sixth house and having taboo sexual desires that are being stuffed away into your subconscious that are violent and traumatic and, you know, awful, right? That that's Pluto in the 12th house with all of this other stuff in between them. The other stuff being the sex dolls. And the third point in the T square is sort of like the end result or how that tension, that opposition gets channeled. In this case, the resolution to the tension is the sun conjunct Mercury in Gemini in the ninth house. The sun represents our public image Mercury represents, among other things, publications, radio, newspapers, and the ninth house represents the ability to reach far and wide. So to me, I see that and I'm like, yeah, no shit. This tension results in him becoming famous, essentially, his public image being carried overseas, you know, via newspapers and radio and TV and all the things. And yes, let's take a minute for the fact that we're dealing with a Gemini man. You know how I feel about Gemini men. Girl, right there with you. <laughs> Look, but don't touch, honey, because he'll make you think you're about to, you know, go get a little love. And next thing you know, your fucking head is in a cooler. Our so- editor is a Gemini man. And Mark, I love you dearly, but you know who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> He's also my brother-in-law, so I can get away with saying that. Definitely had my credit card run up without me knowing. <laughs> maxed That's out. Right. Credit card Dude. maxed out by a Gemini no, no. man. Yeah. Yeah. And let's be clear. He told like you gave him your credit card because he said he was going to, quote unquote, take care of the finances. And I was like, I'm so depressed. Sounds great. Turns Sounds out great. 
I got even more depressed when I found out that he maxed out my credit card. Do you remember when you told me about that? And my Capricorn ass was like, you did what? Yeah. It's like, don't give people your credit cards. Not even people who say they love you because. No, no especially not those people. Especially, in my especially if it's not, if it's a fucking Gemini man. Don't yeah, do no. it. Mm-mm. Yeah. Not a good plan. So that's the sailboat. Red flag. Red flag. <laughs> Oh, are you a Gemini man? Red Smells flag. so good. <laughs> Smells so good while you're in debtor's prison. <laughs> yeah, really. Fuck. Well, while you're like avoiding all the fucking collectors calling you 24-7. Oh my God, I remember that. Okay, so, okay, that's a sailboat, but we're not done with this chart. Mercury is at six degrees of Gemini and it's sextal Dahmer's Mars, which is in Aries in the seventh house, the house of one-on-one partnerships. This is so interesting that we're in the seventh house because this is often thought of as the house of marriage. But I think with Dahmer, because he was never going to be able to have the kind of romantic partnership he wanted, it was like he had to hunt it. And I say hunt because Mars and Aries is tough. When you see this in a chart, you know that at some point you're going to have to deal with that person's rage and violence, even if it's only verbal, right? Aries is the God of war. Mars is the planet of war. And among other things, action, aggression, the physical body, lust, you know, lots of things. But Mars and Aries, to be clear, doesn't necessarily denote a physically violent person, but 100, I would watch out for that temper. Obviously, in Dahmer's my case, moon in Aries confirms. Yes, as between the two of us, <laughs> this is this is this is perfect. Like when I call you and I'm like Roe v. Wade, I'm spiraling, I can't stop crying, and you're like, try anger. Have you tried anger? Anger works. Have you tried anger today? It's so effective. It's well, it's, and in my house because I have an Aries daughter, I'm an Aries moon. And my son is an Aries rising. So we're just a, we're just a seething cauldron, you know, of like, (laughs) and what's funny to me is that my daughter, the Aries, which I mean, that's her sun sign, the most chill of the three of us. It's because she's got that Gemini moon. Well, and yeah, yeah, sure. And the Taurus rising. So like, you know, she's got, there's some shit to love about when she loses her shit. It's epic. Yeah. But for the 90, 95% of the time, she's going to be fine. The boy, I mean, you look at him wrong. <sighs> yeah, he's he's yeah. got a temper on him, that one. The Aries rising. <sighs> yeah, yeah, it's intense. Yeah, yeah, he close. needs he needs a workout plan. You got to get Aries people physically active oh, to work tell me through about it. the anger. Yeah, when I got okay. sick and I couldn't run anymore. You remember I just yes. broke things for days. Yeah, she was so mad. Hates it. So bad. Yeah. This is like when I go out there and you're like, let's do yoga. And I'm like, no, because yoga to you means like hurting. <laughs> it means and- actual fucking yoga to you. It just means like laying on the floor and putting your leg in the air for 15 minutes. It's not. That's- mm, my favorite was when I did Kundalini yoga because my friend gave me a pass. She was like, I'm not going to do this yoga. It's like too boring. And I was like, I'll do it. And it was, I, w- I reported back to her and I was like, it's like, it's like yoga. It's like preschool yoga. I was like, we, we sit down and we sing a song and then we take a nap and then we go home. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I love it. I fucking and I love, love it. it. Yeah. We've been over this when you were at my house. So like, you like snack yoga. You like yoga oh, yeah. where you lay in one position and someone can just like gently put a flan in front of your face and yeah. you can like nibble on that for the 
five minutes and they change poses and they put the flan somewhere else close to you and you just nibble on that for a minute. That's Remy's type of yoga. The fantasy oh, that the fantasy of a, a flan pillow. <laughs> I tell you, I made homemade flan. We'll discuss later. Okay. Fuck. I would love some. Okay. Okay. Back to Dahmer. Okay. Obviously in Dahmer's case, this Mars and Aries went way beyond run of the mill violence. And it's showing up in these one-on-one relationships, right? We're in the seventh house where he would likely love to have a life partner, but can't. So he uses violence to create this other type of partnership where he's literally Chiron and Pisces trying to absorb these people into him to carry them with him. Right. I I know it's eating them. So yeah. Yeah. I know it's dark as all hell, but like, hopefully this is making it's sense. dark, but it's also sad, right? It's like, so that's sad. why I don't like summer because he makes me feel sad Did and you call it's not somber. That's somber. what we should, yeah. Summer, summer, Jeff, sad, Jeff summer, Jeff summer. I, I am sad on Tuesdays from 12 to two. <laughs> I am not supposed to be sad at any other time. Angry is fine. Sad is not. And he made me sad this week outside of my scheduled sad time. God and that it. made me angry. So then we're back to anger, which is fine. But it's like, it just, I was like, you know, it's one thing to be disgusted, you know, like that's gross. He ate people, but he ate people because he was desperate to be be a part of something else. And that just, I was like, Oh he w- no, he was desperate for closeness and yeah. Like, and he not- admitted it. Yeah. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't yeah. like shy about it. He wasn't like, you know, the dudes are like, I don't need to be close to anybody. And I'm like, fuck, I'm just mad. Like he isn't me. He isn't like mad all the time, or at least pretending to be, he was like, I'm just really sad that no one loves me. Yeah. So I tried to inject people with hydrochloric acid so I could turn them into zombies that would love me. I mean, what? I'm not saying it didn't go really wrong, but like, oh man. Well, this is all this other shit we talked about. Plus Mars in Aries in the seventh house, the house of partnership. It's like, it's like you're channeling all of this sadness into this like mega violence in this search for communion with another, right? That's the seventh house. Rough. So the other thing about Mars in the seventh house, Mars is kind of a swinger planet, right? Like that bitch is DTF. Mars just wants to fuck all the time, everywhere. But when you have Mars in the seventh house, you're not fucking just to get off. The sex is ultimately in search of a partner. So again, it's this, it's this violence. It's this, um, sad, it's this sadness in this quest to become one with another. There's more to talk about in this house. So normally you don't hear astrologers talk about what's called your descendant. I honestly don't know why that is. I think it's actually really helpful in a chart. The descendant is exactly 180 degrees from your rising sign. And it tells you what the person wants in relationships, what they long for in a partner, any, any kind of partner, but maybe especially in a life partner. Dahmer's descendant is exactly conjunct his moon. First of all, having your moon in the seventh house, you really have deep feelings around wanting a partner. You want a fucking partner, right? No question. But the moon also represents the mother. And I think in a lot of ways, Dahmer was looking for a partner who could mother him in the way his own mother couldn't someone who could take care of him and love him unconditionally and nurture him and also be a man, which he couldn't come to terms with. And so he found this alternative, right? So I think when we talked about, when you were talking about these details around who his mother was and her mental health struggles and the fact that she just kind of fucking checked out. Like 
yeah, he channeled that into this like um, need for a partner. But problem is though, that whole area is ruled by Mars and Aries. And so that that lack of nurturing that he needed in work his, out in his yeah all of this violence it didn't translates into all this violence so okay one last thing in Dahmer's chart he has venus in the eighth house in taurus this is so interesting to me normally when we're talking about venus in a murderer's chart we're thinking about this person's relationship to women because nine times out of ten women are the ones being murdered it's a refreshing and- change though isn't it you like that? Okay. I mean, I'm not saying that I like that Dahmer murdered men. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that in terms of serial killers, most of the time, you're seeing the ladies take one for the team. But you, but you know, you know true. But when here's here's the thing: when you don't, when it's not women, and it's not, you know, girls, children, um, or boys, it's it's often gay men. Gay men. Yeah. That's the other thing. And, and yeah. that's also a piece of this because, okay, well, in this case, we're not thinking about women per se, but we're talking about the feminine, you know, this yeah. is just energetic. It's something yeah. we all have the feminine to some extent. Taurus again, deals with all things sensual. It's physical. It likes sex. The eighth house is the house of sexuality, but it's also the house of death and rebirth. It's ruled by Scorpio. So now we have sexuality and death in relationship to the feminine. I don't know what Dahmer's type was, who he was looking to take home and murder. I don't know if these were men who were holding more feminine energy, but I wouldn't at all be surprised if that were the case with this Venus placement. But more than that, I think this is such a tragic representation of Dahmer's relationship to the femininity that he carried inside of him. He wasn't that stoic, patriarchal, rigid representation of masculinity that, you know, his parents were kind of a part of and that society expected him to be. And so I think that in these murders, there was also an element of like you talked about wanting to kill the gay inside him. I was just going to say that that psychologist, a psychiatrist talked about it. You know, I mean, they there's such a rigid thinking, particularly at that time, like, oh, he wanted to kill the gayness. And I understand where they're going with that. But I do think there's something to it with what you're saying. It's not not just the the urges to have sex with men, but the part of himself that doesn't fit to the patriarchy we've created. Right. The part of himself that's soft, quote unquote, right. or, you know, awkward or just in need of something that he can't seem to find. I think the need. Right. That desperate need to connect and that feeling of I want to become you. I want to absorb into that deep, deep drive to like commune with another person that that the patriarchy absolutely fucking hates because it makes you vulnerable hammer that out of you they don't like vulnerability right and the patriarchy hates vulnerability and so when you're looking at venus and women well that's my point is that when you're looking at venus in a chart venus doesn't just represent you know a lot of times we think like oh this represents a woman in your life or whatever really what it represents is the feminine. And when you're in a patriarchy, the feminine is always under attack. As we know, currently with the fucking SCOTUS leak, it's always under attack. So when, if you are gay, you are stand, if you're a gay man, you know, in 1970 or 80, whatever the fuck you are standing uh, just by being who you are, you are threatening the patriarchy. And if you're not in alignment with who you are and you're not going, Hey, you know what? Fuck them. 
I love me and I'm okay with me. If for example, you have Pluto directly connected to Neptune in your second house of self-worth, fucking up your self-worth. Well, you you had a mom who basically checked out and was like, I really want your brother and not you (laughs) and not, and you know, you'll be fine. Work it out. Right. Right. All of that is, and then you have your descendant, which controls what you want in a partner conjunct the moon conjunct your moon in the seventh house of, you know, of marriage. Yeah. It's like the moon is the mom. The mom didn't want me. All of that's being channeled into the seventh house. Oh, turns out I also fucking have Mars and Aries, you know, energy up in here in the seventh house. All of this is, is talking to each other. All of this is in relationship to each other. Oh, and by the way, like, you know, this issue with Venus over here, it's just, it's a chaotic conversation. I'll give you that. Yeah, it is chaotic and voices in your head. Right. And, and, and I think what ended up happening ultimately was that he was projecting the rage that he had toward himself Mm -hmm. onto the men he both wanted love from and, and wanted to become. And so he, he killed them. So he killed them and then ate them. And that's the astrology of Jeffrey Dahmer. And that's the upsetting astrology of Jeffrey Dahmer. This case is a bummer from start to finish. And when you brought it up, I was like, I'll do it, but I won't like it because he makes me sad. It's, it's honestly so, and I think this is just, I want to take a moment to say, we already know this and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it's so fucking important to accept who people are what their sexuality is, what their gender identity is, because the trauma that's caused when you repress, when you um, criminalize, when you villainize all of that stuff, it has collect, it can have collective repercussions. Like obviously what we do to those people is, you know, when we awful. Trauma- yeah, it's awful, yeah. but you, you can't hurt someone else without creating a ricochet effect. Like we are all, we are collective. We are all in this together. And this is a perfect example. You know, this, obviously I'm not saying if you, if you hurt a gay person, they're going to become a serial killer. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is there will be a price to pay at some point. So here's something uh, that's disgusting. So when I was researching this case, I read a lot of articles about it. You have to go back to the 90s to read about Jeffrey Dahmer because he died not long after he was uh, incarcerated. But um, I specifically started looking up like political reactions because there were political reactions, as I knew there would be because you have a gay man committing serial killings. And, you know, they're going to just loved it, you know, loved it, loved talking about how uh, perversions. Oh, right. Gay men are whatnot. freaks and, and mm-hmm. disgusting. Yeah, all and, of that. Right. And it was the early nineties. So you've also got the AIDS epidemic and all of that. And one politician talked about what well, you're talking about, how the, these, uh, would you deny people their agency and their identity in this way? How eventually, whether you like it or not, that's just coming back to boomerang on, on society in some way. And this, this lovely, this lovely guy pointed out that it was mostly to other members of his freakish community. So, mm. uh, maybe he did us a favor. Oh my God. (gasps) So sick. 
Yeah. And oh, he was like, Jesus. well, the few straight men that got caught up in that were collateral damage. He's like, but you're talking about sex workers. Only he didn't use that word. Right. Uh, you're talking about sex workers. You're talking about uh, and by the way, gay men, uh, men, several of those sex workers were boys, children, 13, children. 14 Straight-up years children. old. Yeah. Well, I mean, they'd been abandoned by their society in a bunch of ways. Sure. They probably needed the money. I mean, that's sure. what oh, it comes down to. I'm, 13 right. year olds aren't out there, you know, banging for bucks because they want to buy a video game. That's not how that works. Yeah. You know, like, and, and especially, yeah, there's, they've been abandoned by their families and yeah, they've right. been, or, well, you know, I, yeah, in a lot of sense, in a lot of instances, I bet they have. And then there are some instances I've researched in particular where they are doing it to support their families because their families are in a position. I remember reading about one um, whose parent had cancer <sighs> and was on like Medicaid, which was like, you know, kind of covering the cost of the treatment, but would not cover to pay for the rest of the, you know, for their kids to eat oh, the rent oh, for, you know, God. basic things like that. And you have a 14 year old performing gay sex acts because they made more money that way, even though this child was not gay because they needed to put food on the table. Uh, I mean, you know, and Oh, it's just Whatever. so we could fucking tragic. The, yeah. The conversations we could have about the ways in which our society does not value. Um, <laughs> I, it, they value zygotes apparently, but you know, but not once, once they're born, you know, well, straps and all that shit. Um, yeah. The, the bottom line is we live in a patriarchy. The patriarchy does not value the feminine and the feminine yeah. takes a lot of manifestations. It doesn't just look like women. It, it looks like anyone who carries feminine energy, you know, and the patriarchy's not about it. And that's not to say that men, I don't include all men in the patriarchy, but what I'm saying is these patriarchal structures, these patriarchal views are anti-femininity and 100%. And that's, that's, I mean, you already know how to finish that sentence and that's fucked basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. or there are many ways to finish it, but I'll, I'll just, uh, wrap it up with that's fucked. And it, and it's, and I have been raging and feeling and will continue uh, to be raging spiraling and I haven't, I didn't spiral today. I will say today I felt a little more grounded, so that's good. Uh, did you listen to Annie, the shameless? I'm telling oh, you. Oh, Ani DeFranco. Ani DeFranco. Ani, Ani, Ani. Ani. Okay. Whatever. I love her music. Uh, and I listen when I get, when I get angry, but I need it to go to a productive place and not a place where I just break hangers in my closet and scream. I will listen to Ani DeFranco's shameless. Um, and then I write letters so to senators. Yeah. Cause she, I shameless. Fuck it. she has a great uh, song called blood in the boardroom. Oh yeah. Where, you know that one. Yeah. Well, if y'all haven't heard it, it's so good. It's a song about how all these record execs are trying to get her to sign on to their record labels. And she just couldn't be even more, any more bored than she is. And she bleeds all over their, <laughs> their exec room, uh, like white chairs. And then she goes out and looks for a tampon. It's just such a, it's such a great narrative. I remember when I discovered her in college, I was like, Oh fuck. Someone's talking Dude. about shit that no one's talking about discovering. I feel like discovering Ani DeFranco, Fiona Apple, and yeah. maybe like Tori Amos for burgeoning teenagers in the nineties was like, everyone knows who they key. were. Oh yeah. Was, uh, yeah. I mean, if you, you were, remember, this moment. if you were a certain type of girl, you, you remember that moment when you were like, yes. Yeah. Yes. This, more this of this is the one. Yeah. This when- is it. This is it right here. 
yeah when when tori was like why do we crucify ourselves ourselves. yes yes i feel this a bunch of that also when she talked about um masturbating while everyone was praying downstairs i was like yes yes yeah well me and a gun like that that song will stop me cold yeah yeah if you want to talk about like a (laughs) sexual assault (laughs) a person and you know just talking about it and make everybody really uncomfortable yeah but they don't want to they don't want to talk about it well when i saw her live at the greek i remember when she did that song the part where she said so i wore a slinky red thing some Mm -hmm. fucking drunk piece of shit dude was like whoa yes immediately no super loud and and i was just like Wow. Can you imagine you're, you're fucking putting your heart. This is the wrong context, my dude. (laughs) Like you're not at the concert. You think you're at like, mm -hmm. I was like, thanks. Thanks for making us all feel unsafe. Thanks. bro. Appreciate that. Yeah. This is uh this isn't for you. Let's be clear. Next week we are doing Aaron Hernandez. Oh, we're doing Aaron Hernandez. Okay. Speaking of anger that went the wrong way. Okay. Okay. So I don't actually know very much about this case. So you're going to, I got a lot to tell you. Yeah. Yeah, You're going to fill me in. Okay. All right. I love you. I love you too. Okay. Bye. Bye.